Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. The Indian Wells draw is out. And, uh, man, this is complicated. Two of our three are in the draw. We only expect <laughs> one of our three, Rafael Nadal, to actually play the event. We will get to Novak Djokovic and the kind of situation that we're currently in. Again, recording probably 10, 20 minutes after the release of the draw. But let's start with Nadal. And we actually haven't spoken since Rafa won Acapulco, beating Daniil Medvedev handedly in the semifinal, beating Cam Nori in the final. Joel, I, I thought that was Nadal from a level perspective at his very best towards the end of Acapulco. He was looking great, Gil. He was just so sharp and so focused. And of course, He's in this whole year where now he's started the year winning a slam for the first time since 2009. And I think with Medvedev, I think when you beat someone in a really close big match, each of you knows it. And so one guy's awareness of it is even higher. And that is awareness, his sense that, hey, I know how to beat you. Oh, I didn't know quite how to beat you. So you could see, I mean, Nadal looks exceptionally confident in that match. And Medvedev did not. Yeah, I thought that I, everything hinges on Rafa's forehand, right? And yep. it's it's not just the forehand itself, um, because Rafa relies on the runaround forehand, so to to hit his angles and to play his patterns. So a lot of it is about those little quick steps around the ball, and he looks as spry as ever. And I was watching very closely because obviously he's had this foot problem just even within recent months. And the movement to me looked just incredible. And it was almost as if this being best of three instead of best of five benefited him. And and I thought that the reverse might be true, but um, he's now beaten Medvedev both ways, best of three and best of five. And he just looked super, super sharp against Nori. The only time Medvedev has beaten Nadal, it's been indoors at the ATP finals in Nadal's worst conditions. And Nadal served for that match. And the head-to-head is five to one. So I think it's safe to say out of all of the contenders that Medvedev deals with towards the tail end of a major, generally speaking, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Djokovic, uh, Nadal is his biggest problem from a matchup perspective. And uh, we can maybe get to that a little bit more because they're on the same half of the draw at Indian Wells. But uh, I think Nadal might be having a moment, Amy. You know how Federer had a moment after he won the 2017 Australian Open where he felt almost so joyful and loose on the court that it was almost like pressure wasn't a thing and it just completely unleashed the best parts of his game? Yeah, Acapulco, in- right? Nadal kind of looked like that in Acapulco. It looked like, it looked like mentally speaking, he was in as good a place as you could possibly be in. 
He's in the zone, as we say. And I wrote about this, actually, that the way we tend to think of aging is that, you know, you're you're young and then you peak and then you get old and your skills start diminishing. But what it actually is, is like this zigzag that happens over time and you can be up or down in your youth and you can be up or down in your middle youth and you can be up and down as you get older so he's having kind of like a second bloom right now where he's just playing very free and some of the all the old Rafa Nadal skills that we've seen over the years are working very well for him at this time. It's very much what Federer was five years ago at the age of 35 after he won that Australian Open and it's kind of it's wonderful to see. I mean, Nadal always brings a certain joy to when he plays, but this is even more liberating. And you could, yeah, you could definitely see it. And I think you're spot on about the two out of three sets that that's making. Okay. Now look, I already won the marathon. I won the best of five matches and this Medvedev was nine points away from beating him. And now I, uh, good. I got that. And, and let's build some momentum. Let's stay healthy. I mean, I still, I, I still, I'll be Fascinated to see if Nadal plays Miami. And on to the clay. Well, first, on to either Sebastian Corda or right. a qualifier in round two. Now, at the Australian Open, we thought his draw was going to be one thing, and it was completely uh, all over the place. So uh, we're not going to get into these players, I don't think. But uh, just to throw it out there, Casper Ruud is the highest seed opposite Nadal. You have Yannick Sinner in here. Denis Shapovalov is actually in Nadal's uh, section uh, within his quarter, so his eighth. Uh, Dan Evans is his closest seed, and Riley Opelka will would face off against Denis Shapovalov, so Opelka or Shapovalov would be if the seed's held. Uh, just to throw that out there, but let's, uh, let's talk about Korda maybe because – that's a match, and we don't know who the qualifier would be that Corda would have to play. Uh, that's a match that I think, Joel, you covered uh, when they first played Corda's breakthrough at the Australian Open. Well, I believe it was Corda's breakthrough at, the, at Roland Garros when he got Oh, to the Ro 16th. you're right. You're totally right. Yep. The 16s, and, and he talked about how he had a, was it a cat or a dog named Rafa? He a looked cat. up. <laughs> and so he's having the whole, oh, I'm playing my hero thing on his favorite surface. It's been a nice go. And I mean, Court is great. I, I courted a little, little less than productive as anticipated in 21. I thought 2021 yeah. was going to be better for him, but I don't worry about him. I love his game, and I think he's a terrific player. And it, and look, Nadal takes every opponent seriously, and uh, that would be that'll be fun to watch. That's a great early round match. Well, I know that Rude is would be way down the line for. Rafa, but that one I would like to see because a lot of people are saying that Casper Ruud could contend for Roland Garros and that his game is really improving. So since this is a slower hard court, uh, that would be a matchup that I would like to see. I'd also like to see Rafa play Opelka. Um, I think it would be Chapo or Opelka. Right. I'm not as interested in seeing him play Chapo again, but you I know, am. it. Okay. I'd rather see him. I'd rather see him play Chapo. I want to see how Dennis might turn the page on on that painful defeat in Australia. Same. Yeah. Same. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. But but, but I, I like, think Amy, I like the Amy, you make a great point. Styles. Yeah. 
You, yeah. you make a good point about the conditions. I, I also am interested to see how Rude does here. And uh, I'm almost surprised that this hasn't been Nadal's best hardcore masters. It's been Canada. If I were to guess based on the conditions, I would think it would be here at Indian Wells, but he's won it three times. Hasn't made the final since 2013. He's missed maybe one or two years in there. Uh, hasn't played Nadal. Uh, hasn't played Federer and Djokovic great at this event. But to me, it kind of feels like Nadal's results here are due to be better than they have been in recent years based on the conditions. I think we need to plot Rafa's arc more than any of our three by his health status. He's the most, it's funny. He's the least um, fragile as a competitor, yeah. but he's the most fragile as an operating system. And so we always need to look at kind of the, the state of body in a way we don't have to for the other. When they show up, they show up. And, and, and but Rafa, you don't know what's been, what's been leading into it and what leads out of it and, and where these tournaments fit in. And I mean, yeah, his week, he's, he's won it three times. I mean, it reminds me, this is like a mini version of how we talked about the Australian Open as Nadal's worst slam, whatever that means. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, the Rhodes Scholar, his worst course. <laughs> uh, I would just, just a, a little note that popped into my head uh, that Rafa plays really well in humidity. And we saw that in uh, Melbourne and Acapulco. And this place has zero humidity. And it does make an, an impact on the way, that, well, not zero, but very low humidity. It, it does impact the way that the ball moves off the court. So, um, you know, maybe that's a thing. But then again, he's won in, in Madrid, which doesn't, I don't think, have a ton of humidity and does have altitude. So he can that, definitely well, win. That's his worst, uh, it's his worst Roland Garros lead up, Madrid. <laughs> Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah. Let's see. It's it's yeah, what he's been better at Rome, Monte Carlo. <laughs> I think you got at something, Amy, that made me think of the time I saw Nadal. One of the years I saw him win at Indian Wells, but I'll talk about this humidity thing. He does well in it also because a lot of people don't, because a lot yeah. of people suffer more. So the, yeah. the, the capacity for suffer to get back to that training so that people don't. And then in Indian Wells, nobody has to suffer that way. But where they do suffer, and this may have impact for Nadal, is maybe sometimes the thinner air and the measuring of the ball. One year though, I saw him when he played Murray in the finals, exceptionally windy in 09. And he's a monster in the wind. He's got a perfect game for wind, the attitude, the margin, the hunker down kind of approach, which is different than let's say Federer in the wind. Um, oh, totally agree with that. So yeah. Joel, I, 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 like, I like the point also about health, right? You think back to 2019, He's about to play Roger Federer. He has to withdraw. You think about sometimes uh, Nadal not being healthy in Australia, and this is right after Australia, and the calendar spot is situated in a place where, of course, he wants to be 100% for clay. So I think that that's the best explanation for why, at least since 2013, when he won it, after that, it hasn't been a great spot for him. But I think he's well-positioned to change that this year, and – before we go on to Djokovic, when I look at the contenders here, I'm not feeling awesome about any of them other than Nadal. Um, Medvedev, like, is that so? So, Medvedev, I think there's a lot going on with him. First of all, you play at Indian Wells at night, it's as slow as any clay court, it's extremely slow. Yes, so it's to... even harder, it's even more difficult to do exactly. to aid your spin. 
Plus, he's lacking rest, in my opinion. Plus, you don't know how this Russia-Ukraine uh, war is going to play on the minds of any Russian or Ukrainian players. You just don't know. Uh, Pas has looked like he's been struggling a little bit in, in recent events. Um, and you don't have Djokovic in the fray. And Zverev has this massive weird distraction happening with you know the fact that most fans i don't think believe he should be playing here maybe that's a maybe i'm off on most i don't know what it is but some um and he hasn't looked confident at all since the australian open everybody seems a little bit down right now well and the dial is so up and i think one thing you mentioned this whole generation and we've talked about this before i remember you brought it up a while ago amy about you take a veteran player and then in comes some insurgents and they bang on the door a little bit and they get some of their early wins. They, they, they kind of pry it open. You know, they get a win in, in Canada. Like remember when Chapeau, did he beat Rafa in Canada? Who do you remember when he first burst in 17? You know, they, get, they get a win, they get a win. They get a little marker on the table. And you think, well, maybe that means, are they gonna tear away? Are they gonna barge in through the door? And then maybe they don't. And so then a guy like Rafa thinks, oh, all of you guys, Sinner and Opelka, and Chapo, yeah, I played you all now. I played a lot of you. I've beaten some of you. Yeah, maybe one of you got me one year, one, one place along the road in a canna. But guess what? I won the Australian Open. I'm still a kahuna. You're not. Carry on, gentlemen. Oh, so, and, and then you talk, and then you just outlined, Gil, a whole series of, uh, of things that are affecting all of these folks. Yeah, that's part of it, too. But Gil, not everybody is down. I mean, um, you're right. Alcaraz, um, Nori, Nori's playing really well. He's defending champion. I mean, why not? Um, so yeah, th there's plenty of good competition, and who knows? Maybe Novak will show up. <laughs> Never know. Good transition. I want to. I want to throw in I wanna, Felix. I want to. Yeah, Felix. I want to. He's playing great. And you know Nadal, you know Nadal is going to say he's going to treat them all like they're great. He's going to, if you ask Nadal about anything, he's going to, like if you say to him, "Well, uh, Zverev has got this stuff going. Oh, he is a wonderful player. He's beaten me. I need to." I mean, Nadal will take every player as seriously. Yeah. If any of us showed up for the draw, he'd say the same thing. Well, this person has done enough good things to reach the stage to play me, and I've got to, I've got to be ready to go. Yeah, yeah, we do know that. Um, all right. Novak Djokovic is on the bottom of the draw. And right now the rules in the United States, number two seed bottom of the draw, but you can't enter the U S if you're not vaccinated at the moment. And first ball is in 44 hours, but Djokovic has not withdrawn. So if you're Indian Wells, if the player doesn't withdraw, you have to put them in the draw. Um, I mean, what's your uh, what's your read on this, Amy? What's happening? What's going on? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I became an expert in immigration law. (laughs) Good thing you did. My goodness. (laughs) But I don't want to do it again. I do not want to do it again. Um, Here's what's curious about this, you guys. Like, if he's not in the United States at this moment, when the draw has just come out, um, why is he still there? Like, if... I, I just can't imagine that that he would be able to fly in at the last minute and and play this this big tournament. But I, I, like I said, when we first talked about this, if he wants to get into the United States or he wanted to get into the United States, he would need diplomatic help. He would need help from the Serbian embassy here in the States. Who knows? Maybe he got it. <laughs> Why hasn't he announced that again? The, the, because of the because of the flights. I mean, yeah, because like, he learned he his learned lesson. his lesson. Um, <laughs> jinx, Gil. He learned his lesson. <laughs> Don't put it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Ah, um, uh, I mean, I, it's so it's so baffling. And then I don't know. I think also I want to um look at it from a PTPA standpoint. From Novak, who's the leader of a group that wants to create as many opportunities for as many players as possible, I, I guess. I mean, I'm still, PTPA will be one of these things. We're going to see how that plays out. But gee, there's something about this like, okay, why wouldn't you just say, I'm not coming. I'm not, I, I know I can't come for these reasons. This is where I stand. The guy is determined. I mean, if there well, is any chance that he could play this tournament, he's going to just play it out to the end. Otherwise, he would withdraw. Joel, what you're getting at is if he withdrew another qualifier, so someone would have been given a direct entry that would have opened up a spot for a qualifier. Plus you have a a more even draw because the way Indian Wells works, by the way, everybody is uh, every seed gets a draw. So if Djokovic pulls out before his first round match, now there will be no reshuffling of the seeds. So um, it will be Grigor Dimitrov who would just take Djokovic's spot in the draw because he's the highest ranked unseeded player. And now you have a quarter with Rublev Dimitrov where every other quarter has two top eight guys. So it it would throw the draw off balance. But, but Joel, were you referring more to the fact that he took a spot of a potential qualifier? Well, that's right. There's a potential, there's a quality, there's someone lower ranked there who's sees, well, there's a job opening. There's a job opening, but this guy is still hanging on to the office with the chair and the, and the window. And so uh, that's what's kind of a little baffling for me. I'm not sure why Novak hasn't just said, oh, look, we, it's clear. It's clear based on my choice. I mean, a little similar to what Tennis Sandgren did before Australia, where Tennis Sandgren said, this is how I feel. This is what this is my truth. I, it means I'm ineligible for Australia. I'm not going. I'm just reading here a news story from ESPN.com. His status to enter the United States is still uncertain, 
due to being vaccinated, uh, unvaccinated. I mean, it's like deja vu all over again. It's the same thing. I, I just can't believe that it wouldn't be clear to the tournament or that Novak wouldn't have made it clear to people this close to the start of, of a major tournament. It, not a slam, but the next next thing down. Well, but any tournament, Leon, what any tournament at 250, a challenge. I mean, actually, in some ways, even more for a low rank. So because those these I mean, again, Novak's spoken about the need to create, um, you know, more opportunities for more players. And here he's just kind of he's, I don't know. Well, I guess once again, we'll we'll see. We'll know more. We'll, we'll know in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we will. We will see. I mean, my sense is the play is to wait until the last minute in case guidelines change to keep yourself open. However, what it seems to me at this point is that last minute passed by. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's last minute was over. So I, I think we're, we'll feel very silly if the CDC <laughs> in two hours says that vaccinated internationals can enter the United States now, sure. um, right? And how many times did we say we'll see in 48 hours going into the Australian Open? And we didn't see, and then we unsaw, and then we saw again. And then, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy that that either both the the tournament organizers and Novak would risk this kind of thing again with the lack of clarity. That I find surprising. But I don't think the tournament organizers could have done anything about this. They can't. They can't they, take him out of the draw. They can't take right. him out unless That's he withdraws. Right. That's true. That's right. So that's uh, that's right. But he's he's entered the tournament. He hasn't said he's withdrawing. I'm sure they've contacted him to clarify. Yeah, they said they have. They said they're in contact with him and his team. Right. They haven't said he's so what will be will be. But boy, we're just going to see. And then, of course, we're seeing we've seen just on a side note that in, he's probably going to be able to play in France. Yeah, because the laws and yes, the yeah. Now they have they have put in some new policies for sure. But let's just say that wouldn't it be great if he did play, right? Sure, of course. Sure. Yeah. For, yeah, for what it's worth, by the way, he's on the "We Miss You" wall on the grounds of Indian Wells. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> I've seen the "We Miss We" wall. We yes, yes. So, you know, I I put about as much stock in that as the Ben Rothenberg always likes to talk about who's on the poster. You know, he's like, "Ooh, this person's on the poster." The tournament wants to market this person, and what does that mean? I mean, literally, that could be like a marketing intern that made that decision <laughs> to put him on the "We Miss You" wall, right? Well, Hopefully, a paid intern. <laughs> let's uh let's hit on mary and vida novak has split with mary and vida um before we uh touch on fetter and then wrap up um we we have an episode that i encourage everybody to go back and watch or listen to uh covering djokovic's coaches including mary and vida Every slam Novak has won has been with Vida at his side. The period that Vida was not on his team was not a good period. But I think a lot of reason to suspect that this time around will go a lot smoother than last time. The period without, now that he's back. Yeah, and I read stuff about how 
Goran Ibanezovic is the head coach. You know, this whole, this whole coaching staff organization in tennis is due for some more um, understanding or explanation. You know, there seem a lot of egos at play in this, and I don't like that. So, I, and, I, and a guy like Vida, I have tremendous respect for him. I've never spoken to him. I haven't, he's not interviewed that much, but you just know he's been a loyal foot soldier and more in the growth of Novak and his dominance and his success. And I don't know about, I don't necessarily mean about credit as much as like, what is he and understanding it. I mean, I, I wrote an article a few months ago that says, okay, I oppose coaching, but if you're going to do it, then do it. Do it like the National Football League and trot these guys out and have biographies and have their names on their shirts and let us know who they all are extensively. But we don't know that much about what he's done with Novak. We just know he's been there and that's great. I, I know a little bit, I think. And that is that Vida was in charge of bringing together all the different elements. And that included the, the fitness, the, um, the data, the super coach. His personality is pretty chilled out and he's a smoother. He smooths things over. And um, I think he was a calming influence on Novak. And Novak, during that period that they weren't working together, realized that he needed to bring Marion back. So therefore, it would not surprise me if, after a period of time, Marion were to come back for a third time. Wouldn't surprise me at all. That being said, we know that it had nothing to do with the vaccine because they split in November. They didn't tell everybody. And then in January, Novak, uh, Marion gave an interview talking about how much he supported Novak going through the whole Australian Open debacle. And, and we didn't even know that they were split at that time. So we know that it really has nothing to do with that. And it, it really could have to do with the travel schedule or Vita's desire to work with another player. This is really interesting. I like the way you described him as organizing those things. And that's, that's an art form other than just making phone calls. That's assembling a team. It makes me think of what an account person does in an ad agency. They, they, they don't do the research. They don't buy the media. They don't do the creative, but they kind of interact most closely with the client. And they know more about the client business than anyone to harness all these pieces. And it's not, it's not simply administrative and it's kind of creative also. It's a really, it's a real art form to itself and to keep those egos in balance. And, and so therefore maybe the role of the tennis name, whether it's what, you know, Vida that he maybe subordinates his own tennis knowledge and he was a world-class player, but then you've got like the big creative guy is the Goran, you know? So it's a different, it's a way, it's a way how these teams are kind of organizing and Vida, I'm sure he was involved in sort of managing the equipment and the schlepping and the other stuff for the practices and orchestrating things because Goran Ivanizovic is not scheduling practices or finding practice partners. I mean, that's maybe he finds them occasionally, but I think of, you know what I mean? He's the, he's the super expert of the tennis and technique and strokes and, and they have another bond. Yes. So it's really, it's really interesting. I think that's a, that's kind of a mega trend in tennis that I'd like to understand more in the next 10 years is how the whole player coach dynamic works. You know, we know a lot about it from the other sports. There's a lot of extant literature and knowledge about offensive coordinators and the coach and this, but different for the uh, 
different with tennis. Do we know who Novak leans on for more of the mental side of things? Do we know who that is? That could be could variant. be Vida. I mean, mental what? Mental is in how I feel, or mental is in how I play. You know, like tactics. Both. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, both. Right. Uh, game planning, or also just someone to talk to about. You know, I, what I do know is they were they're close, like family. Um, and I think that's a, a big part of this at, at any rate. Just just making the point by, that, you know, while Goran is largely credited with making some brilliant technical adjustments with Novak's game, there might be other things that Vida might have been more hands-on with. But in the bigger picture, what we do know is that they alternated being with Novak and they would basically call each other every day. And only one, one of them would be communicating with Novak, but both of them would be involved in all of kind of the decision-making and the strategizing and all of that. So if even Isovich is ready to take on a little bit more travel, I don't see that much is going to change here. And I think that's the, the conclusion that I would kind of come to because it's not like there's this black hole. Uh, with with Vida's departure, it is very much a hole that will be filled by someone who we already know works very very well with Novak. I also think Novak down the road has a great opportunity to, when he, if he if or when he ever does his autobiography, this kind of it takes a village collaboration thing because he's brought the team Gestalt to tennis to uh, the. It's kind of in the wakes of Navratilova and Lendl about fitness, about nutrition, but all the parts and pieces that make a champion in a way that's different than Federer and Dal. They've had their ways, but Rafa, the family, the emotions, the uncle who was a great athlete, Tony here. And that that's its own neat thing. Federer, much less so, right? I mean, I don't think I don't think of Team Federer, even though there's Severin and Lubitsch, I don't think it's quite the same dynamic as the Novak intimacy i think right don't you think agreed i don't know I, I, it's been different things at different times um i do know that one person that he leans on a lot is yelena and and for spiritual and and uh talking things over and mental that you were getting at gil so mm -hmm. she's an important part of the team but it changes and and this is a point that i made on another podcast and that is that novak is not averse to change i mean of the three i think maybe he's the one that welcomes change and says that it's inevitable and and accepts it as as part of you know the uh the dynamic well he's had to he's been the insurgent i mean he had the beacon yeah he had, he had these two titans and then and along came he so he needed to be the innovator more it's like where it's reminds me of the days in television when there were three networks in america and the one that was third was the one that had to innovate most to kind of crack on in and and novak comes in where these uh these two super geniuses who've got a pretty good thing going you know there's roger he's number one all these years here's rafa who's winning on clay and he's got his whole family thing and novak's got a hmm what's my product innovation and i think that's that'd be interesting that'd be interesting if at some point to be possible to talk with novak at length about that about his team dynamic. Roger Federer news. He's uh, he went out and hit with Mirka, and uh, talked about his his health or, or someone. It was actually Severin um, 
right, making the actual <laughs> comment about Wimbledon, uh, that, that Wimbledon is unlikely. Amy, what do you make of the, the latest Roger news cycle? Actually, Roger did give an interview to uh, a journalist at a ski competition very close to his house, uh, mm -hmm. the women's, uh, I don't know if it was World Cup or something, um, and <clears throat> that he really, Wimbledon's out, it's, you know, but again, he, he said, he made the comment that I'm at a point now in my rehab where I can really focus on the specifics of the comeback, so he really is trying to come back to tennis. What form that will take, who knows. But he's at a point now, he said he was on crutches for two months, where he's not talking about retirement. Well, he wasn't talking. Was he talking about retirement or he was contemplating? He wasn't. I mean, others talk about retirement. He's never talked right. about Right. No, but if, never, if, if, things went, if things went horribly and Roger could feel that his body was going to say no, I'm, you know, maybe he would have struck a different tone. We don't know. We know this is a thing. This is, the, this is the whole tennis thing and these long <laughs> exiles and these tweets and these things and it's, and it's neat and it's good that he's hitting and we'll see and look, and he is, he is supremely organized. So we know what he's, he knows what he's up to and he sees how his body feels and he's probably trying to play some practice matches and of course, saying that about Wimbledon, you know, that's kind of fun. Comes off in some interview along the way, but you know, that was not that was not incidental. So that whoa, okay, no Wimbledon, okay. And now, is it going to be the U.S. Open? Is it going to be Basel? Or is it going to be okay? Let's turn the page again. Let's look at twenty-three Labor Cup, whatever. Some are looking at Labor Cup as a highly potential comeback, but I don't think this is based on anything other than random conjecture. What they call in retail a soft opening, you know, because your labor cup is not Wimbledon, right? <laughs> we are getting ready to follow Rafael Nadal's run through Indian Wells and whatever the next 48 hours will have in store for the, the Djokovic situation. Who knows? Um, but definitely excited to get Indian Wells going, and we will have. Uh, coverage during the tournament right here on three remember we're available on all podcast platforms we greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on apple Podcasts and spotify and if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe we will see you next time on the next episode of three